water and unsterile materials. They have less risk of causing infections to themselves. And if they overdose, they're actually in a place where they can be resuscitated, which has happened many dozens of times. How many people do you see in an average week there? Oh, it's hundreds a day. The facility goes from early in the morning till very late at night. I think there's several thousand people registered there. Now, this is one aspect of the work that you do, but there is another, and that's counseling people who are addicted. You see people at various sites in downtown Vancouver. What's it like seeing one addicted patient after another? Do you get to know them as people? Well, one way to put it is to see one addicted patient after another. Another way to put it is you see one suffering human being after another. And what you get about these people is that invariably and without exception, they all began life as abused children. It's abuse that sets up the template for addiction later on in life. In the majority of cases where there is severe injection drug use on the street level, that's just true not only according to my own particular observations, but also according to large-scale research done in the U.S. In other words, as a physician, I'm dealing with people at the extremes of suffering. They suffer because of their life history, then they suffer because of their addiction, and finally they suffer because of the social opprobrium and prejudice against the addict. So it's an area of medicine that's highly challenging and highly rewarding at the same time. And yes, if you're doing your job as a physician, you must get to know these people as individuals. And when you do, you find that many of them are very sensitive, creative people, deeply hurt, sometimes hardened as a defense against the suffering that they've endured, but always interesting and always worthwhile to become acquainted with. You write in the book that the people you work with are under extremes of stress and that this, uh, this plays a huge role in how they become addicts. What kind of stress are we talking about? Well, in the Vancouver downtown east side, a drug ghetto, as I call it, I've never had a single female patient who wasn't sexually abused as a child. I mean, not even by accident. And the men were abused physically, a large percentage of them, a large minority of them sexually, and they were neglected and abandoned serially over and over again. And when you look at the large-scale studies in the United States, the so-called adverse childhood experiences study, an adverse childhood experience is something like a parent dying, a parent being addicted, violence in the family, a child being abused, a rancorous divorce, and so on. For each adverse childhood experience, the risk of injection using substance addiction goes up exponentially. So by the time that a male child had six of these experiences, his risk of becoming an injection-dependent substance addict is 4,600% greater than the average. You see this by experience, of course. You see it happen generation after generation. Is there brain science that also confirms the diagnosis you've made? Well, absolutely. We have now sophisticated imaging techniques. For example, in one study, they looked at the MRIs, magnetic resonance imaging of depressed adult women, some of whom had been sexually abused and some had not. And there were noticeable markers in the brains of people who had been sexually abused. It's really clear now the human brain develops an interaction with the environment. And under conditions of stress and abuse, you have brain impairments, the circuits that are meant to regulate us and give us those feel-good chemicals like the endorphins, our own natural opiates. They don't develop those circuits very well under conditions of stress and abuse, which is why when that individual does cocaine or heroin for the first time, they feel normal for the first time. You see, the drugs in themselves are not addictive. 
contrary to popular myth, most people who try most drugs don't become addicted to them. Otherwise, we couldn't give morphine in hospitals to people in pain. But we can do so quite freely without really worrying about addiction potential in the vast majority. But those people whose internal opiate circuits were negatively affected by early stress and early abuse, they're the ones then who, when they do an opiate like heroin or morphine, become hooked on it because that's what they've been lacking all their lives. This also argues that there is behavior that parents can engage in that would create the uh, structure of the brain to make people not become addicted, that there is something that is the flip side of what you're talking about. This suggests that the more responsive and loving a mother is to her child, for instance, that the less likely that child is to become addicted. Well, absolutely. In my book, I argue that the beginning of addiction needs to begin at the first prenatal visit. And if I take your question a bit more broadly, I have been diagnosed with ADHD myself, and I don't believe it's a genetic condition, as most experts seem to believe, I think, according to very poor evidence.